listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. Welcome to episode 102 of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Jess Bunyard. Jess is the editor at Women's Rugby Coaching Magazine and head of Women's and Girls Rugby at Huddersfield in the UK. She is a level two RFU coach, has guest coached men's teams, previously coached Yorkshire U18s, and it's a pleasure to have her on the show. So welcome, Jess. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, no worries. Pleasure. And um, you know, I've seen, seen what you've been doing with the uh, with the women's coaching magazine, uh, women's rugby coaching magazine. So I was, I was excited about that and thought it'd be great to get you on for a chat. So happy you could join us. Yeah, we're actually coming up to our first anniversary of it. So we first published in Feb last year. So it's kind of, it's come around really fast this first year, but it's been amazing. And I've learned so much and, and connecting with so many great people doing wondrous stuff in the women and girls games. It's been amazing so far. Awesome. All right. Can't wait to get into it. And uh, what, what about you as, as a rugby player? How'd, uh, how'd you get involved? What was the, the spark and, and how was, how was your experiences? So the, the spark to play was always there, um, but because the growth in the women and girls game wasn't like as amazing as it is now, I, I didn't get the chance to play until university. Right. So I had to sit and watch and, and be a spectator up until I went to uni. So um, I quite famously, we're a Leicester Tigers supporters as my family. So my dad used to take me every weekend. Um, and quite famously as a, as a kid, I'd have my nappy changed on the wooden benches of the stand because the <laughs> game was on and he didn't, he didn't want to go to the toilet to do the baby changing stuff. So the spark to play was always there, but it wasn't until uni when I finally like put on some boots and, and finally got out to play. And it was kind of everything I imagined and hoped it would be. Um, and I was, a, I was a prop forward, which I absolutely loved. Scrums were like the bread and butter, and I absolutely loved them. If you were telling me that we were going to do an hour and a half of scrum tech for like the entire session, I'd be happy. No fitness, just scrummaging for me, please. Um, and that's, that's what I loved. Cool. And uh, what, what about coaching? How did you, you first get involved to coaching? Oddly, I got spotted at a gym. Uh, um, so I went to university, did my degrees, came back here to Huddersfield to live with my parents. But I was, I loved the team that I started playing for in London that much. So I used to kind of travel every weekend and just mm -hmm. hop on a train and go and play for them. It was a chance to like see my mates again. Yeah. So I'd end up sleeping on one of their sofas or sleeping on one of their floors and just playing with them on the Sunday and then catching a train back up. Um, and I was working in art at the time. So I'd go and see a couple of art shows and, and actually do some work for a living while I was there for the weekend. Um, and I, but I'd come up here to train. So I'd just like hit the gym and try and be, you know, get a little bit of work done in the gym as, as I possibly could to prep for the, the weekend of playing. Um, and a guy at a local gym spotted me in my rugby union kit and said, have you thought about playing locally? And I went, well, actually I've got, managed to coach a couple of sessions when the coach couldn't turn up for the team I was playing for and I was like well I'll just run some passing stuff or I'll just do something and I was really interested in developing the coaching and learn how to do more of that so I said actually I don't want to play 
I'm probably really interested in coaching. Um, so I went down Monday night to the local club here um, to the university women's side that we're training and I got stuck in. And within the first couple of weeks, I was an assistant coach going to their games, running elements of training and basically being their sort of number one match support because the head coach couldn't go on match days because it was during right. the week. Um, and so I was thoroughly thrown in at the deep end. <laughs> Often the best way. What was what yeah. were some of your memories from that experience that were that were good things and things that kind of real made you realize that, that how difficult coaching can be? I think one of the the best memories for me is being included and incorporated on the the uni team's match day sort of rituals. So if you're mm. going on the away bus for the first time, on the way back you've got to sing a song, and you've mm. got to sing like a couple of lines yourself before everybody you know tunes in and starts doing with you. And it's it, I find that immensely like humiliating to be honest I'm like I wasn't you know <laughs> I'm not the best singer so having to stand up and do that but there were a couple of freshers at the time were doing it and I felt really included in their in their rituals um and that was really impactful for me just how actually I, I have made a difference you what you guys are seeing me and incorporating me into your team mm. um and that was really powerful for me and then the kind of big learning moment if I look back at it now I was way too emotionally invested in those first games on the sideline because <laughs> obviously I'm still playing in London. And I think yeah. the coach just like stands and shouts on the sideline, right? So all that yeah. passion I have that I play on Sunday, I can just stand there on the sideline and I'll just like exude this passion through verbalizing mm. and the message you'll get across to the players. Um, and they'll do it. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, it was so tiring <laughs> afterwards. I used to come home and I'd be, I'd be knackered because I'd be just shouting and walking up and down the touchline and running up and down the touchline at the pace of the game yeah, yeah. for like the entire fixture. And that is, let me tell you, that is not, that is not the way to coach. <laughs> for sure. Um, cool. Yeah, I think that's a, a very uh, common, common theme and thread across a lot of the coaches that I've talked to. And I, I was definitely in that boat as well. I, I started my coaching as a player coach. Uh, so I was on the field trying to manage uh, my um, mental state <laughs> at the same time as uh, trying to be a coach and all the other things that you think you can do uh, in real time, but actually you can't do any of it. Um, so yeah, it's, 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 it's a good learning moment when you realize, okay, you know what, I've, I've just got to take a big step backwards here. Yeah, it, it's just relaxing and, and taking a breath. And I, again, I was just, I don't know what I was thinking at the time, um because I remember some of my coaches just used to sort of stand on the sidelines and they'd give words of encouragement mm -hmm. um so I don't know what I thought I was doing running along the sideline trying to keep up with the pace of the game um and and I don't know if I was like I don't know what I thought I was doing like embodying it and like being this sort of 16th person running up and down the, the sidelines but it was exhausting and <laughs> really wasn't very productive at all I think yeah. it, it took me about like a month and a half to just sort of like calm down and realize mm. that this this wasn't the way um and then I was kind of thankful to like the RFU coach developers at the time the local community coaches just sort of going have you considered this way? Have you considered that way? You mm. know, and just kind of, kind of helping me on that journey. But yeah, it was, uh, it was not productive at all. I think you, you kind of soon realize that it takes a different energy and a different mm. focus to, to become a coach. Um, you can't transfer the energies that you might've had as a player and just assume it'll be as effective as a coach. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And you mentioned the RFU and your, your process through your, your level two and getting support there. And 
uh, are you have you moved on to your level three process now and, and how's how are, how are things going in your own personal coach development yeah I've um, I'm started doing the level three this year so I'm about the halfway point now awesome. um, and it's and it's really interesting it's it's challenges you obviously you know no learning experience should want to keep you in the safe zone or a comfort zone that you've kind of mm-hmm. become accustomed to and it, it mm-hmm. challenges us to kind of to look inward a little bit first and to look at knowing yourself as a coach, you know, uh, and make sure you, you know, your, your process and why you do your process. And then it will kind of challenge you to add other things into that process, which is really good. And I've got a great bunch of players to be doing it with. Um, Although we're a brand new team, they're keen and they just kind of go with the flow with any kind of crazy ideas I'm working on. (laughs) Yeah. That's the, that's a bonus when you've got a supportive group that uh, lets you experiment and they know that, you've got their best interests at heart and uh, that's really important. And with regards to your own personal coaching, what's your, what's your favorite part of the game to coach and, and how would you design a session to, to deliver that? It would be really obvious for me to sit here as an ex prop forward and to say mm. the, the scrum is the, is the thing that I love to coach. It is one of the favorite things I love to coach because it's something I'm really passionate about. And obviously I'm really comforting comfortable in, in knowing the, the technical intricacies of it. Um, and I think when you're coaching development women's people arrive in the sport and they don't necessarily have a concept of how strong you actually are as an individual. Mm. And so if you get your technique right in the scrum, if you're scrummaging against somebody who's a similar size to you, obviously we don't want to create a, a mismatch or anything, but I could have somebody who might be an out and out winger scrummaging against another winger just for technique and practice. And they discover what their inner power is mm. and how actually if they work together, they can hold each other up and really work together. And you can see that spark lit in somebody then who doesn't realize actually how strong they are, that they have this inner strength. So I love coaching that aspect of the game. But I probably, when I'm in the craft and I'm in the moment, I love coaching games. Mm. I love possibly rocking up with with little or no session plan. Um, those are the days that can challenge you the most. To challenge yourself rocking up with no session plan, put a couple of games in, see what the players are struggling with, see what they need support on, and then adapt mm. the rules and think on your feet and go from there. And I love those kinds of sessions. Um, mm. I love it because they're they're co-created with the players so the players are chucking the rules in you're chucking rules in. it's all based on what you're noticing and observing which can be a challenge as a coach um it can be really easy sometimes to rely on a piece of paper that says we're working on this and we're working on that today and then we've got to move here at a set time um and I think sometimes it's important to have sessions like that yeah but I think just sometimes standing away from the piece of paper and looking up at your players and and having Mm. a session with no session plan can be can be quite challenging and I just love the coaching the games to be honest it's where you see players confidence really sore yeah yeah that's that I'm all over that as well and that's that's a big part of my sessions and yeah I, I probably have made that mistake as well where I'm I'm pretty forthright in terms of like we're only doing games we're not we're not doing any breakouts or anything like that and then then you actually realize okay now I've got to I've got to peel it back a bit and we've got to slow things down and and that's where I think um, I lean pretty heavily on the whole part, whole model, where that that middle part is is you know it might only be five minutes, and usually with me it's only five minutes of drills, and then other side of that is you know 30, 40 minutes either side of that of of games with with modified rules and 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 those kind of things, and, and especially with new players, if they're brand new to the game or relatively young, uh, they they 
they don't know what they don't know. So they, they need to find out those solutions by themselves in, and with their teammates uh, in game settings. Yeah, 100%. You know, uh, I think players or certainly the group of players I'm working with work really well through a process of self-discovery. So mm. I'll put them in a game and at some point I'll chuck little puzzle pieces that might look like a game of rugby union in there and they have to connect those puzzle pieces together and they'll learn loads by the end of the session. Um, you know, it may not always look instantly like a game of rugby, but there'll be lots of puzzle pieces in there that will ultimately yeah. help them get better at the sport. And that's the kind of stuff I, I love creating the best. What, what's an example of, of something you've done recently? Um, so I did a, a new game on on Tuesday, actually, which probably looks a little bit more like rugby, but you basically, you split the pitch into three zones mm -hmm. um, and you sort of, instead of putting constraints on the attackers, you put some constraints on the defenders. Yeah. Um, so you've got them all in, in the first zone. Defenders can move anywhere they want in that zone um once they've made a touch they're then banished to the second zone likewise this in the second zone but they can still move anywhere they want to in the second zone if right. they make a touch in that second zone they're then banished to the third and final zone attackers have to make it all the way through the, the three zones and to okay. score on the other side so there's various ways of doing that um obviously the the simple one is how can you do it without actually making a touch to push the defenders back if you kick straight mm. over Defenders mm. can't touch you and they're stuck in zone one. But equally, mm. each time you make a touch, the picture that is presented to the attackers changes because the defenders will have to have to move backfield. So it's quite cool. fun. Um, yeah. And it worked with like my it. guys, particularly in defence, at just getting them to just hammer home that process of you've got to go forward and make a touch. Otherwise, mm. you're out of the game. Yeah, yeah. No, I like that. And uh, puts them in the situations where there's... They're, they've they've overloaded the attack in defence or vice versa. They're... they're the attackers overloaded them uh, big time and they, they have to have some uh, traffic moving towards them that they have to solve a, a, a fast evolving problem. Yeah, 100%. Any game that has a changing picture for either defenders mm -hmm. or attackers is, is ultimately going to be good because yeah. the real 15-a-side game is, is lots of changing pictures all at once. So anything yep. we can have as a mini puzzle piece that's a changing picture in a training session is, is going to be the best for them and more game realistic. Yeah, awesome. I saw on uh, Twitter recently that you put a call out to, to some clubs you know, around your local area where you're asking uh, for some guest coaching opportunities. I thought that was pretty awesome. Uh, what, what was some of the feedback there? What was some of the take up and the experiences like from that? Yeah, so there's been one take up so far because I think I put it out and then the pandemic hit and everyone, we went in the multiple lockdowns and stuff like that. But I mm. went um, to the other side of Leeds, which isn't that far away from me. Um, to guest coach a men's side there and they were really open um to the whole experience so mm. they had their regular coaches and then myself and we ran a bit of a circuit session right. um so the other two coaches ran a station each and then i ran like a main game station mm. or with kind of a theme in mind um and i was kind of really impressed about how the players just took themselves in because it can be a little bit intimidating if you're the only female coach mm. in an environment going to coach a men's team that you don't know so ultimately you've got a familiarize familiarize yourself with them know what makes the players work so that you can adapt the game whilst being a female coach and trying to just get over that little bit of like imposter yeah. syndrome that, that can yeah. happen um but they took themselves in and it was a real test of okay well I know nothing about these players and I'm 
and I'm crafting a game for them based on how they play right in front mm. of me. So it was a real mm. test of my noticing skills and how quickly mm. I can spot stuff and where they need challenge, where they need support. So it was a real good learning experience for me. Yeah, I think that's awesome. I think it's pretty brave too to just like put your hand up and say, you know what, I'm really gonna, I'm really gonna test myself here. And and that whole imposter syndrome, that's real. Like that's a that's a real thing. And um, I think you you highlight it, you know, well that you know female coaches may experience that a lot more than male coaches do in in that environment or in any any environment. Yeah, I have to say it's definitely striking me at the moment with the with the level three. I haven't met. Um, <laughs> another female coaches doing their level three sort of in my yeah. local area at the moment i think there might that's be a, that's a problem within south, itself right there massively massively yeah. and so you're kind of sat there which and the level three is a big step and you kind of enter the room for the first time and you don't see really anyone i mean there's a, there's a female uh, coach developer on the who's kind of helping you with the course and stuff so she's in the room but in terms of actual students sitting and doing the course mm. there's nobody that looks like you um which can be you know is a thing you pat yourself on the back you've made it you're here you're on the course mm. look at the kind of step you're taking but equally it's 2022 and I shouldn't be the only female student no, in the room yeah no I, I totally agree and I think that's a challenge uh that's a challenge worldwide and and, and some countries are, are doing a better job than others and I think it just needs to keep pushing forward and uh I I can't speak more highly for you know, working with female coaches and and being an assistant coach or female coach and and working in a, a women's environment, uh, it just makes you a better coach or coach and it makes the game better as well. Um, so I think it's a, it's a must. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think my experience is because women possibly or certainly in the environments I've coached, they're newer to the sport. So they will ask more questions. They'll want to find out the why of we're doing stuff because they just simply don't know. They may not have seen rugby before on the TV. They may not have, have picked up a rugby ball before. So they'll want to ask more questions, which means as a coach, you've kind of got to have answers, either that directly answer them or you've got to have ways that will stimulate the conversation to aid their learning. Mm -hmm. So you've got to kind of know your stuff as a coach. Whereas if you're, if you're coaching male players who have played the game all their life they might grasp the puzzle pieces a little quicker and they might mm. not want to ask further questions but that yep. in, in itself could be a challenge That's well how big, do you get to them sure. to arrive at the learning point if they're not asking any questions so mm. pro both probably present challenges but i find coaching women's more you you got to know the why pretty quickly because they'll they'll mm. want to know and they'll want to ask questions <laughs> for sure uh, cool. All right. So I mentioned in the introduction, you're the editor at Women's Rugby Coaching Magazine. How, how did this role come about and the magazine itself and and what was what was the evolution of the of this concept to begin with? Yeah, so about uh, 14 months ago, uh, Dan Cotterell at Rugby Coach Weekly approached me mm -hmm. and said that they were looking into producing a monthly PDF magazine for women and girls rugby just to help grow the games and, and grow a community and support the community of coaches who are kind of learning at a grassroots level on the ground level every week about how to grow women and girls rugby uh, and I was kind of instantly interested as, a, as we mentioned before it can be tricky if you look in an environment you don't see an awful lot of people like you there aren't mm. many female coaches out there working within the men's or the women's game and so one of the first things I said to Dan was yes I want to support coaches male or female working in the women and girls game but I also want to shine a light and support female coaches who are working in either men's or women's rugby and mm. it's really important we we focus on that 
and we look at SNCs and physios and all of the stuff that mm. doesn't necessarily get get shone a light on and we and we help bring that education to grassroots coaches so there could be a male coach out there who's going I, I don't know how do I talk about periods should I talk about periods how do I talk mm. about sports bras Sh- should yeah. I even talk about sports bras and so I was really keen to kind of shine a light on that stuff and educate coaches and and one of the the first pieces we did was on sports bras and how actually talking to male coaches and making sure that they know that women don't know a lot about sports bras either Mm. we don't know how to get the right fit for us and uh, I spoke to a researcher who's actually gone out there and done research and nine times out of ten women are wearing the wrong fit of sports bra or, or generally wearing the wrong fit of bra and actually yeah. that can reduce your stride because you're not feeling comfortable right. so actually your running times and stuff like that is is slower because you're not as comfortable so your, your stride mm. is shorter and it was great to chat to her and so we kind of produced a resource that was like here's who you can hand this up in your changing room so male coaches or female coaches you don't have to have any awkward conversations but at the same time, put this poster up in your changing room. It'll educate your players and we can treat it just like any other piece of really important equipment. Yeah. You wouldn't go out and play rugby without a gum shield or without mm. your studs in your boots. So mm. we shouldn't go out there and, and play without proper fitting sports bras. No, 100%. And it's, uh, it's one of those things that, you know, as a, as a male coach coming in, you're having that conversation is is especially if you don't have daughters or you're 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 single or you know whatever environment you come from it may be like the the scariest concept you could ever consider would be to have that have that conversation but if you have a resource there that's you know fairly fairly easy to to pass on and and uh help support you and does probably most of the legwork uh, i think i think that's awesome yeah, hundred percent. And it's about just saying that these sorts of things are are okay, but as well as talking about a sort of health and rugby topics, so stuff mm. like period sports bras, uh, menopause was another one that we dealt with. Mm. We just generally talk about how to grow the game. Um, so if you wanted to start a women and girls team or a women and girls section at your club, what are the potential pitfalls? Is there a right way? Is there a wrong way? If I'm running a taster session for women who have never picked up a rugby ball before, how, how do I go about it? What kind of language do I use? And um, because actually that's that can be a common pitfall for yeah. coaches. Yeah. Is there language use? We we have so much jargon in this sport, and half the time mm. we use it, we're not even aware that we're using it. Mm. So stuff like a, a touch tackle like what does that mean um stuff like a turnover what what does that mean and these can all be stuff that we think actually we're not using jargon i'm not using stuff like scrum or line out mm. or you know, rooks and malls and breakdown and stuff like that you know wing three quarters old phrases like that i'm not using that kind of jargon but actually mm. it still is jargon so we need to kind of look at, at creating an awareness in ourselves when we're saying things that it's it's as simple as and as easy as possible and if i've used jargon and a player isn't aware, just check for understanding. So it can be really simple stuff like that that we cover mm. as well. Yeah. Yeah. That reminds me of one session I, I coached about five years ago where it was all about offloading and five minutes into it, one kid puts his hand up and says, oh, what's an offload? <laughs> I realized that Brilliant. Yeah, Brilliant. I probably should have, uh, probably should have worked through that before actually going straight into this situation. So yeah, that's, a, that's the kind of one. stuff that doesn't, doesn't seem obvious because mm. we're, we occupy the world of rugby 24 yeah. seven. So we're just in it. 
Um, And so it can be really difficult for us to poke our head above the parapet and actually Mm. take a step back and go, actually, that that word doesn't make sense outside Mm. of our lexicon. It it has no frame of reference for anybody who who, who's never seen the sport before, who's who picked it up once in school or who's only ever played netball. Um, So it can be a real challenge for coaches. um, But I think it looking at how we use language in our sessions and who we're using the language for, I think, has 100 percent made me a better coach. Yeah. Awesome. Happy New Year, coaches. Hoping that 2022 offers some great opportunities for you in terms of growth, development, and ultimately success as a coach. I've set myself a goal this year, and I'm going to tell you about it right now. I'm deep into the process of creating an online course based on what I've learned from running this podcast for over six years and 100 plus episodes. And my goal is to release that online course this year. I've gone through the most popular and downloaded episodes to dig up the coaching gold nuggets to share with everyone. The title of the course is Evolve Rugby, and it's going to be big. Six modules, 26 chapters, worksheets, reflective journaling, transformative information, all from the comfort of your own home. Filming has already started, so stay tuned for updates and release dates. But for now, kick back and enjoy this episode. Yeah, no, it's, it's, so it kind of leapfrogs into some of the questions I had for you about, um, you know, some of the topics have just been really unique uh, for like as a male coach who's done most of my coaching in, in the men's uh, setting. But having having concepts brought up, like the one that you recently talked about was having kit made for women rugby players. I, I just think that's so key and so important. And that, you know, if a, if a, if a rugby club values women's rugby, they, they should value it at the same level as they value their men's side. And that means from everything uh, from, you know, training time and, and attention from physios and all those kinds of things, right down to what kind of kit they're getting. Uh, are they just getting a men's cut that's here you go, that'll do, or is there actually some attention to that detail? Cause it's important. Yeah, absolutely. And in thinking back to my playing days, I was always in men's kit, 100%. Now, sometimes that fits you really well and you're lucky. Other times um, you can be unsure of like what measurements to use. So I remember once we were getting shorts, but they were men's shorts kitted out for us. So we all had to sort of like queue up to get the tape measured to make sure it was accurate, which is kind of a thing in itself because, you know, no one really wants to queue up, uh, you know, even if it was getting measured by another teammate, no one really wants to queue up and have their measurement, you know, read and then Mm. wrote down the piece of paper. Um, But we didn't know what men's sizes we were because obviously we're like sizes 16 or 18 or 20 or something like that. Or Mm. I know I'm roughly like an extra large or something like that. and that in itself can be can be quite an, an odd and un, unsettling experience. And then I remember getting the shorts and then I've still got to like squeeze myself into the shorts, even though they're mm. supposed to fit me because the cut is meant for a bloke. It's not meant meant for me. And let's be honest, like my hips are different to men's hips. Women's hips yeah. are different. So how am I supposed to squeeze myself into a pair of shorts? And then when we look at the shirts, the shirts are you know, there's times where you can go for a baggy shirt. That's great. So, you know, I was often com- more comfortable in a baggy shirt than I was in, mm-hmm. a, in a properly fit shirt. That's just mm-hmm. my preference. But if I've got somebody who's can only wear that size shirt, because that's all we can pull out the bag for her on match day, mm-hmm. we're often like, I remember like trying to pull the shirt over her to get it to fit her. And then it mm-hmm. usually takes like two or three people to get the shirt over again, simply because we're, we're just built differently. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it can be a struggle. So what's a, 
what's a tight fit for a bloke is going to be an exceptionally tight fit for a woman, especially around the chest area. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, it just goes to my earlier point that it's a, it's a value thing and, and that, you know, it's, it's recognition of the importance of uh, the players and, and the, the team itself that, you're you're making these decisions and these thoughts and and often it's it's probably just like oversight you know for the most part and that most most clubs are run by volunteers and and these kind of things happen but it's great that you're bringing awareness to it so so that people can say you know what there there are other ways to do this yeah absolutely and and it was really interesting in our in our article we spoke to steph evans from regret um and one of the things she raised awareness of that, that most sort of clubs and volunteers didn't know, and I certainly didn't know, is often we think we're tied into a supplier contract, but actually we have to give that supplier first right of refusal, which means that if they don't offer kit that, that fits your women's team or that is women's kit, then you can go somewhere else. Um, but as long as you offer that opportunity to them first, mm-hmm. you could go somewhere else. Now, obviously, check your individual contracts at whatever club you're in, because it may differ. Um, but that was one of the bits of advice that she had that I think is incredibly useful for clubs. Check your contract. If you can offer your supply, then first right of refusal. If they don't offer tailor-made women's kit, then then you have the, the right to go somewhere else. Yeah, no, that's a good call. The, one of the other issues you brought up, and this one uh, speaks to me too, because my wife uh, returned to play after pregnancy as well. And uh, so it was, it was great to see uh, a conversation around that. What what were some of the, the the things that came up in that article about about female players returning to play after giving birth? Yeah, it, it was really interesting to hear actually how um, a club coach had managed it whilst the player was pregnant, and then mm. obviously upon their return. So when the player was pregnant, they continued to just do a little bit of a touch activities, obviously with 100% approval of the midwife and the doctors mm-hmm. and everybody on board of that, um, because the priority is that mum and baby are absolutely safe. Mm. But they continued to do some little touch stuff. They worked on some skill stuff. And then when it was time for them to step away, they didn't remove themselves completely from that environment. So they still had their support network. Because mm. actually becoming a becoming a mum, becoming a parent is, is like a life-changing experience for somebody. So your entire kind of world changes overnight. Mm. And what we don't want to happen is that players who are pregnant suddenly find themselves without that rugby family support network because they don't see their team for Mm. the whole time during pregnancy or for the latter stages of pregnancy um and then managing that return it just comes down simply to when that that player is comfortable so when they're comfortable and you can have chats around what training might look like for them and as coaches we have to be flexible that has to be modified obviously they are not going to come back and want to go in full pelt into tackling people they're going to be a little scared they're going to be a little unsure so we'll talk it through and and manage it as if we were managing another injury as if we're managing a twisted ankle or a concussion we would add in modifications and we would ease that player back in so it's Mm. exactly the same and I think sometimes as coaches we can think a player comes to us and says that she's pregnant. We think, well, that's it. I've lost the player for like nine, 10, 11 months now. You know, they'll, they'll go through the pregnancy and then there'll be a time after pregnancy where they won't want to come back. Pregnancy is not like a death sentence. You are no. going to see this player again. <laughs> yeah. And what's most important is that we have, make them aware that there are modifications in training so that they can mm. still be active as long as it's with the approval of the midwife and they're completely comfortable. Or even if they just want to come and stand on the sidelines for a couple of months after, or during their pregnancy, wrap up warm, 
give them something to do if they know the game well enough have them coach some of the newbies and some skill activities and get them engaged and involved and just keep them there and keep them active within that support network yeah it does speak to uh to developing players uh, younger players and making sure that pipeline is coming through because um my wife with our first child uh, she was playing in a, a very strong women's side and it was an, an older, uh, the, the group had kind of come through probably eight years of playing and they were, they were getting to the stage where they were, you know, in their early thirties. And, and in one season, uh, my wife and seven other players got pregnant and overnight that team <laughs> became a, a very experienced team to a very novice team uh, that was uh, desperate for players. So uh, it's something to think about, I feel. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think particularly as as women's rugby becomes more professional, I think we definitely have to address that. Mm. And I was speaking to um, a player who plays for Saracens, who was also a midwife. And one of the things that she spoke about in the article is that actually community clubs could lead the way on making rugby a little bit more pregnancy friendly. So is there an area of the clubhouse where we could have a little crash or a little something where a player come in and enjoy a non-alcoholic drink or just sit and chat with their friends after training actually could they put their child down knowing that their child is safe in that environment Mm. and there's a couple of toys there it's donated or whatever Mm. or could the physio room if the woman needs to breastfeed could is she comfortable enough or do we can we make her aware that she can go to the physio room she can breastfeed or or pump somewhere in private Mm. and I, I really do believe that the more we talk about this at a community level actually will have impact for, for the top of the game as well. Cause it is a concern, I believe for professional players, what happens? Cause it's your, yeah. it's your career mm. and you're basically out for a, for a long amount of time. So how do they manage that? I, I think by, by affecting change at sort of grassroots level, we'll put pressure on the, on the top a little bit more to, to sort themselves out with that. Yeah. That's a, that's a fantastic point. And the other other one I was gonna I was gonna discuss we we kind of touched on it earlier but one one of the issues uh, talked about uh, supporting and increasing the number of uh, women coaches in in all all settings what what were some of the big big takeaways from that article? I think um, one of the things um, I, I certainly like to to speak about doing and I probably ought, we ought to do a little bit more at the magazine and um, for sure and it might be something we look at doing is is making sure that other female coaches know there's a community of female coaches out there yeah. and connecting them together so that they can chat about common issues that they're having. Um, because there are, there are issues out there. Of course, I mean, we're, you know, I'm assumed to be a physio or a parent on a daily basis instead yeah. opposed to the coach. Um, a couple of weeks ago, a couple of months ago now, it was believable that I as a 30 year old had an 18 year old son first, rather than I was a coach of, of a local team here. Um, which was you know um, an unusual experience Um, for me I have to say when I said the luck on his face I was like no I'm a coach he went oh all right oh great and off you sort of went I was like yeah hopefully you realize he was an idiot (laughs) hopefully but we're assumed to be physios and kind of anything Mm. other than coaches so I think making sure that whatever constituent body governing body and and us as a magazine and what we'll probably look to do is make sure that we know there's a community of female coaches out there and how can we network and support each other because it can be quite an isolating experience sometimes um you know if you're the you're the only female at your club i'm lucky at my club um there are female managers our age grade manager is a woman and she's absolutely fantastic um 
and she just goes in there and bulldozes through things and gets jobs done um so her being there before me kind of made my life a little easier mm, because it was already yeah. a little bit accepted to see a woman getting a job done in a rugby environment um but it can be really daunting so I think my advice for any female coach out there is to connect with other female coaches they do exist they are on social media a lot and just connect mm. and chat with them because it is an intensely reassuring experience I know whenever I have issues or there's a sticky bit in my learning or my level three experience I'll drop one of those female coaches a message and we'll just we'll just chat things through um and it's really beneficial yeah no it's great advice and I, I think uh mentoring is you know you, you always hear that in in various podcasts or on LinkedIn or something, get yourself a coach mentor. It's like, okay, that's, that's, that's great. That's great advice, but actually having some kind of structure or set up in place where you can, where you can be in that environment uh, is, is a, is a lot better than, than just saying, go and get a mentor. Yeah. And it, and it can be a struggle, can't it? Go and get a mentor. Well, yeah. firstly, how do I go about that? And, mm. and what if I connect with somebody and, you know two months down the line we have like a major disagreement and I you know and suddenly the mental relationship isn't working out how do we go about do we contract that how do we recontract that um my advice would be to just drop as many people as a message as possible I'm quite mm. a pest on that regards I'm on whatsapp and I'm on twitter and I'm always dropping people messages what do you think about this or you know how would you know we chat about that problem last week how did it go what do you think about it it's just sometimes really good to just have a sounding board. And there's no rule that says you have to have one person and one mentor that you speak to right. about all your yeah. issues. Chat to as many different people as you possibly can. No, great, great point. Great advice. All right. One of your roles uh, along with the magazine is uh, head coach, head of women's and girls rugby at Huddersfield. Uh, can you talk about that role a little bit, especially the challenge of launching a program in the middle of a global pandemic? How did that go? <laughs> Yeah, it seems like a really stupid idea with hindsight now, doesn't it? Because we had our first taster session mm. on the eve of one of the lockdowns. Oh, no. Um, and we decided to go ahead. So, yeah, um, right you know, the UK government were like, we're going to lock down on such and such a date. And I was like, the night before, I'm like, we're just going to run that taster session. and We're just going to go ahead with it. And we yeah. had about 10 to 12 women down on, That's great. You know, on, the, awesome. on the eve of a lockdown, which I was like, yeah. I'll take I'll take whatever numbers. Yeah. yeah. Um. It, it has been a challenge. It has been an immense challenge. Um, and I said, when I was launching the team for this club, I said, I'll coach whoever rocks up. We're in the middle of a mm. pandemic and we're, we're trying to grow women and girls rugby at this club. I said, I will coach whoever rocks up. If we have one person at training, they'll get a session. They may not get like the full hour and a half. We may just cut it short, but they will get, they will get something. They will get mm. some time chatting about rugby and doing some rugby skills or you know whether it's one or 20 everyone will get some form of a session and that's mm. the kind of ethos that I've stuck to and it's meant that we are growing steadily but we are growing strong and we've got kind of a blend of, of women now some want to play full contact rugby some want to play touch rugby and some are, are joining us and dropping messages about just wanting to do the social fitness stuff right, um, right. and one of the things that I've made clear is whatever level you want to join us for. So contact touch or social fitness, it is completely open to you. Mm. So I think sometimes if you're a woman who's wanting to, to try out rugby, but you think contact rugby, or you're a little bit unsure of that, you think, oh, am I going to be pressured into playing 15 aside contact rugby with all the scrums and all the breakdowns and everything else? Mm. Well, no, because again, 
just like the pregnancy story we covered, there are modifications, or it's not even modifications, it's, it's, it's levels. So if you want to join at the social fitness level, absolutely come along, have fun. There's generally free food after and a bit of a cake once a month, like come along, run about, mm. meet some new people. If you want to join Touch Rugby, we're, we're looking to host the Touch Festival at our club, which has invited local teams down to just come around and, and kick a ball around and just get involved and play some Touch Rugby fixtures. And then if you're wanting the contact games, awesome, because contact rugby is there also as well. And you can learn how to tackle and learn how to scrummage and, and get stuck in. So we're, we're kind of, the way I pitched it was offering all levels for everybody and trying to make mm. it as inclusive as, as possible and just trying to get people picking up a rugby ball and chucking it about on a Tuesday evening. Yeah, it, it sounds like a really clear strategy from from you and the club of, of trying to increase numbers and engagement uh, at you know both junior and senior levels um in in a bit more detail like how what are if people if if someone listening to this was was coaching a, a women's club team and they really want to you know use some methods that you've used to increase numbers what what would you say would be some of the big ones for them i think being really clear on social media is absolutely important because if, mm. if we're honest with ourselves that's where a lot of people will first encounter us Mm -hmm. Or, you know, you'll go on your phone. If Even if you're just scrolling through Facebook or Twitter, you might come across a rugby team. Or if you're going out there specifically to look for some kind of social fitness to join into, social media is the first kind of way that you, you greet potential players. So being really clear on messaging. So I've found that being really clear on the fact that we offer those different levels has helped immensely. And being really clear on what equipment to bring so it might it might seem really obvious again to you or I because yeah, we've been involved yeah. in, in rugby and we know what the world's like we know what equipment to bring but sometimes just stating that you don't need any equipment all you need are I usually say a water bottle some outdoor fitness clothes and a pair of trainers you don't mind getting muddy like you don't even mm. need studded boots to rock up mm. and try your first session so sometimes stating the absolute obvious can really mm. reassure people and actually make them step out the door because the hardest thing is getting them to step out the door and come along in the first yeah, place to a brand yeah. new environment where they think it's going to be filled with men. They think it's going to be like blokes in suits propped up at the bar. And sometimes it is, but that can be really, <laughs> that can be really daunting. Yeah. So actually getting them and convince them to, to put some shoes on and step out the house is the hardest thing. And the way to reaching that is being really reassuring and reaching them on social media. Mm. Oh, that's great. Great advice. All right, we always wrap up the show with the same final four questions. Uh, when you were a kid growing up, you mentioned the Leicester Tigers, so I'm pre predicting an answer here maybe. Uh, who, who was one of the players that you, you really li liked what they did and, and how they played the game that, that got you into the game a bit more? Um, this is probably going to shed some insight, um, perhaps, or cast me in a bad doubt of, of how I played when I was a player, but um, one of my favourite players at Tigers was Martin Johnson. Um, right. who, yep. you know, could was was gritty. Um, you know, knew how to play in the in the forwards was powerful. And then I always admired the way he could often start a fight and then smile walking away from it. Was probably one of the <laughs> one of the highlights for me. Yeah, no, he was he was pretty good, that's for sure. And what about now? Who are some of the players that you you admire and like what they're doing? Uh, if I can go really stereotypical again, I do admire the the work rate and the scrummaging of Dan Cole at Tigers. Mm -hmm. Um. And I think particularly, this is going to sound like a broken record for anybody that follows me on Twitter, but he has made like vast improvements to his game this year and he looks insanely powerful. Um, right. It's a joy to watch anybody in the front row for me when they, you can see that they're really honing their craft and they've got a dedication to it. Um, and, I, and I love to watch the upfront battles, to be honest. Anytime 
him and Marla go toe to toe in a scrum is a, is a pretty amazing day for me. Yeah, yeah, and there'll probably be some uh, amazing stuff on Twitter coming out afterwards from Marla uh, about it as well. Yeah, and I love all that stuff. I love, I love, <laughs> and I love an environment where, and I love Marla's crazy tracksuits, and I love the fact that that Quinn's just kind of getting off the Tigers, you know, fan bus for a while. I love the fact that Quinn's appears to be that kind of environment where they allow yeah. a player to be themselves. Yeah. So he can yeah. rock up in those fancy tracksuits that I would probably wear rocking about the house because I think they're quite mm. fashionable. Um, mm. But I love the fact that he feels it's free enough of an environment for him to be himself. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, that's important. Uh, there's a lot of miserable looking professional rugby players and coaches uh, floating around and uh, if it can, you know, be a bit freer and a bit more uh, loose within boundaries, uh, I think I think that's good. Yeah, abso- absolutely. I, I think the more you create a, a relaxed and comfortable environment, the freer the players are to speak their mind, to mm. try ideas, and a happy player means they're going to be happy on the pitch and off the pitch, which is which is the priority. Happy players play well. Yeah, no, couldn't agree more. All right. So, question: What about coaches? Who's who's a high-profile coach that you you like what they're doing? Uh, Simon Middleton, obviously, is probably a stereotypical answer mm-hmm. for me. Um, who's in the women's head coach and was yep. coach of the year. Um, but I've also had the the pleasure to have a couple of WhatsApp chats with him and phone calls with him, which has been right. an absolute joy. And he is not just an incredibly talented coach, but he's also amazing to just speak to about coaching craft. Um, and really supportive of your coaching journey, learning journey. Um, and it was a joy to nip down to an England training session. It's kind of an RFU rewards day. And it was a privilege to watch him coach and just how he is there and is impactful, but also enables his assistant coaches to go and perform their job and the level of trust that's required there. At, you know, when you're coaching, uh, you know, the best women's side in the world mm. it you know it, probably the temptation is to to want to control everything because you've got to maintain and be the best but actually there was a level of trust there that enabled that you know I trust you as an assistant coach go and do your job I trust you as an assistant coach go and do your job and it probably comes back again to that happy environment we were talking about there mm. needs to be a trust in there in order for the environment to be supportive and it for it for it to be a winning environment yeah no I agree all right and final question who's someone in the grassroots uh, in a coaching setting that that you think's doing good work and needs some recognition. Oh, that is uh, I, again. I'm probably going to be really um, obvious with my answer if you follow me on Twitter. But I have um, what I call is my coaching bestie, who's a guy called Andy Stevens. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a coach down south. We met during the pandemic. I say met. We connected on a podcast we were doing um, for Rugby Coach Weekly. We haven't actually met in person yet. I don't even think we've video called. But he's fast become my coaching bestie because he does amazing work at a college where he coaches. Um, He coaches in the women and girls game and he's a great advocate of that. But he's equally just become like a really good sounding board um, Mm. for me. And we we share and swap ideas back and forth. Um, And he's great for sort of peer to peer feedback, which I think is so important sometimes as a coach. I think Mm. when we say mentors, we often think of somebody that's like, above you that's like been there and has climbed the ladder and is higher up but actually it's equally important to have peer-to-peer feedback because we we do that sometimes as a coach we create the opportunities for players to have peer-to-peer feedback I think we need to always make sure we're creating peer-to-peer feedback for ourselves as well all right great point and uh good way to sign things off all right Jess well it's been awesome having you on the show I've really enjoyed 
discussing women's rugby and and the work you're doing with the women's rugby coaching magazine and at Huddersfield. So I want to say thank you very much for for sharing your uh, your knowledge in this area and uh, great to chat. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I've, I've I've loved every minute of it. It's great to to chat about how the magazine started, especially as we're coming up to the first anniversary. It's been good to reflect on some of those really important stories. Awesome. Cheers. Thanks for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us via Twitter at RugbyCoachesCNR or via the website therugbycoachescorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.